Welcome to the podcast from Plum Creek Community Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Thanks for downloading my dad. I hope as you listen, you are challenged and encouraged by his message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Welcome to the first week of the NFL, right? I always wear my Brian Piccolo jersey on this week because many of you don't like that I wear my Bears jerseys and he died of cancer, right? So you can't give me too much about that. Actually, in the last service, one of our Plum Creek families that just moved here from the Chicago area, he came walking in with two of his sons and all three of them were wearing Cutler jerseys. So when they came in, I took a picture of it and posted it on my Twitter account because it's the only 666 that we want in this church, right? Oh, thanks you guys for being here. I'm Doug, one of the pastors on staff. We've been in this series called Christian, and it's a very important series because there are so many misconceptions and misunderstandings related to what it means to really be a Christ follower, and we want to try and unpack what is it that Jesus meant by saying, be my follower. And so instead of worrying so much about what our culture is thinking, let's just do it right. And if we do it right, the impact will be significant because we know that was Jesus's plan in the beginning. So for the last several weeks, we've been taking a look at what it means to be a Christ follower and to be a disciple. And Gary did such an awesome job last week uh, challenging us with this tension that's part of following Christ. And he he, he used as his foundation for his message, which is also going to be for us today a little bit too, is this passage in John chapter 1 verse 14. Let me just read it to you again. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, which means that Jesus came here. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father. And I think at this moment, it was almost like John paused for a second and said, how am I going to encapsulate what this guy was really all about? And as Jesus, thought, or as, as Jesus was teaching, as Jesus was doing all the things he was relationally and interacting with people, what is it that was the foundation for it all? And Gary did a great job last week talking about this description that John gave us of Jesus, that he was full of grace and truth. So there's this tension, because you probably have a propensity towards one or the other, a truth person or a grace person, until it comes to your stuff and you want to be grace, treated with grace, right? So we need to be a church that understands this, that you can't just be a, a truth church, or you just can't be a grace church, because if you do that, you're missing out on so much. What I really love is that in a world full of confusion about what it means to be a Christ follower, Jesus made it. He was so clear about it. He was so clear. And when we unpack Scripture and when we read the Word of God, we can learn what He was saying about these things. And so I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Maybe for some of you, uh, this is a brand new thing that you're just starting to check out. And you're here today, and that's part of this journey that you're on to understand things of faith and understand personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe for some of you, uh, this is uh, something that you're kind of in the middle. You've been, you've been doing this for a while now, and this will be a good reminder for you that, that this is how God has called us to live. And then I would guess that there would be another group of people that would be here today that have uh, in some way been hurt by somebody that wore the label of Christian. Maybe they said something, they treated you poorly, they did something, and it, and it was painful. And I want you to listen closely today, too, because... There's so much about what Jesus says that oftentimes those that call themselves Christians aren't doing. And we want to talk about that today. We want, to, we want to explore this just a little bit more. And this passage of scripture that I want to share with you is for everybody. And I want, to, I want you to just be ready for God to speak to your heart. Can you do that today? 
because it's been a week of that for me as I've studied this particular passage of Scripture. And the, the thing about Jesus' teachings in this particular passage of Scripture is that if you miss the first verse, you're going to miss the heart behind it all. And it's so powerful when you understand the context that Jesus was teaching in. So I want to I read this verse slowly with you because I really want it to settle in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be in that particular chapter all morning uh, together. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Did you hear that? Because if we're going to profile the group of people that hang out with Jesus, it's probably not that right there, right? If we're going to try and pick who it is that we think are going to show up to Jesus' teachings, it's not going to be these dudes. But for some reason, it was. It seemed like a motley crew. These misbehaviors were somehow comfortable being where Jesus was. I love how the Message Bible communicates this. The paraphrase uh, they, the paraphrase Bible says this in Luke, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. It doesn't sound like the normal church venue, does it? Something was very different about Jesus' teaching. What does that say? People who were nothing like him liked him. That's pretty powerful. We need to be challenged by that. So it continues in verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Don't we love when people mutter, right? They're muttering. These people that were the most religious are muttering. And look what they're muttering. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Let's go back to the Message Bible, and let me read it to you uh, the way they wrote it. By this time, a lot of men and women were of doubtful reputation, were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees... And the religious scholars were not pleased. Not pleased at all. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Isn't that awesome? If we miss that part of this chapter, you miss Jesus' heart. And we don't want to miss Jesus' heart, because if we miss Jesus' heart, we're going to miss what it really means to follow him. We want to do it the way he did. And so he told some stories to help clear up some really bad misunderstandings. And he started with this story because there were two groups of people there. Those that felt like they were alienated from God because their behavior would prohibit them from being in relationship with him. And those that thought their behavior earned them a right or that they deserved to be with God because of the way, or the, uh, with Jesus, because of the way they behaved. It's a pretty cool truth from Jesus' life that he was never really concerned about what other people thought, and he wasn't worried about guilt by association because he was a man on mission. If we pay close attention to this passage of Scripture, you're going to go see what Gary was talking about last week with grace and truth, but you're going to see it in action in the way Jesus taught. His stories that day were stories about lost things. And so he started with this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, that really helps us to discover God's view of people that are lost, people that had sinned, people that were far from relationship with him. So he first tells this story about a shepherd. It's a shepherd that has a pretty big flock. He has a hundred sheep. 
everybody that would have been hearing that story that day and these parables that Jesus told, you know, they knew how he did, how he taught. He would use these stories that, don't, that aren't necessarily true stories. They're fictional stories, but they have great principles and insights in them. And they also knew that somehow in his storytelling, he was weaving truth so that we would understand things about God. So someone in the story represents God, someone represents them. There's always these weird dynamics that are part of it that would oftentimes be puzzling. Sometimes Jesus would just lay it out and tell you what the story meant, and other times he would just walk away and left them all kind of thinking. So he tells this story about this shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. And he, so as he's telling the story, you can kind of see that the people are kind of listening intently. These notorious sinners and the tax collectors and these religious people And he says, if you have a hundred sheep and you really care about them because they're things of value and one of them gets lost, what do you do? The sinners and these religious people would have agreed. You go find it, right? So Jesus unpacks this story and he says, you leave the 99 in the open country and you go after the lost sheep until he finds it. When he finds it, you throw a party. They're like, I guess, I guess I would do that. I would do that. Jesus introduces a powerful thought here that we have to understand. And this powerful thought is this, that there's a party in heaven when a sinner repents. Sin is real. Sin separates us from God. That's the truth part. There's lostness involved, but there's a party that's thrown when the lost are found. What are the implications on both of these groups of people that were there that day? Those that thought their lives were too messy to be around Jesus and to fully embrace him, and those that thought they were too good, that the messy people were messing everything up. For the first time in their life, they're agreeing that we go after lost things. Then Jesus said, and when you found that lost sheep, wouldn't you go tell your friends about it? Wouldn't you throw a party? Wouldn't you be excited that these people have responded and have found, we have found what was lost? My main thought this weekend is the same thought that Jesus wove through these stories that we're going to look at, and this, and this is the main thought. Sin should break us. Repentance should stir us. Sin should break us. Repentance should stir us. And that's what Jesus was saying as he wrapped up the story. He's like, look, cool story about sheep and one that was lost and one that got found. But let me tell you what this is about. And he said in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Jesus is bringing it, and he's just getting started. What are the implications of this story today for us, for you as an individual, for us as a church? For us at Plum Creek, we need to understand that the most important people at Plum Creek are the ones that aren't here yet. That's what we need to be about because Jesus said that's what his heavenly father is about. And so we need to be about those things too. So he's not done telling these stories. He then addresses both of these groups of people that are there and he tells this other story. The second story includes a woman, a woman who has lost a coin. Now, I want you to kind of understand the heart behind this. Uh, There's a lot of different ideas about the story. But one of the things is that the coins that he's going to talk about are gifts that um, that many theologians would say that are gifts that are given at uh, at a wedding. So ladies, imagine with me that you have misplaced your wedding ring. And men, your wife calls you and says, I've lost the wedding ring that you paid for, right? And so there's a sense of 
eagerness involved in finding this ring. Trust me, I've been through this. And so you would passionately look out for something that was lost. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, suppose a woman who had ten silver coins loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she's going to call her friends because she already called them anyway, right? She Facebooked it. (laughs) Help me. Please pray. I've lost my ring. And then her husband Facebooked it, tweeted it, whatever, too. Like, dear God, help me pray that my wife finds her lost ring so I don't have to replace it. I've been through that. Trust me. I know that's what you do. She searches and doesn't stop until she finds it. There's an earnestness of searching for lost things that have value. There's rejoicing over lost things that have value being found. And what are the implications of this story? Now, all both groups are saying, of course, that's what we do when we lose things of great value. We search high and low. We pull out all the stops. We shake the couch cushions. We do everything that we can to find something of value that was lost. Everyone there that day, those that prided themselves in their good behavior and those that were known for their bad behavior would understand what's going on. We search for lost things. And then Jesus brings it in with the right hook again and he says in verse 10, in the same way, he says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see, he's talking to both of these people that are struggling with the grace and truth issue. Those that feel like they're too far away to ever be accepted and those that thought they were so good that the other people shouldn't be accepted and they should be somehow, uh, have, have a better standing with God. And when he tells this story, he's like, you know, those of you mutterers need to understand, lost people have great value to me. As a matter of fact, that's large in part why I'm here to help lost people that have value be found. And so you need, basically this is what he's saying, if you look at the fine little details, shut up. Shut up and value what I value. We go after things that are lost because we understand how good it feels to be found. Sin should break us. Repentance should stir us. Those that thought their messy lives caused them to never be accepted by God and those that thought their perfect lives earned them a right to be with God are being challenged by what Jesus was saying. But I love that he doesn't stop there. He gets to this other story that many of you are familiar with. It starts in verse 11. This is his famous story. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this man has two sons. One is a misbehavior and one is a behavior. The misbehavior comes to dad and he says basically this, if you understand their customs, because you wouldn't receive the inheritance until dad is what? Dead. So he says this to his dad. Basically, dad, I wish you were dead. That's what I wish. I wish you were dead, so I want you to treat me like you're dead. How does that feel if you're the dad? Not good at all. And you could imagine what everybody in the crowd, that now, now, now the notorious sinners and the tax collectors and these spiritual religious people, they're all agreeing. And in their hearts, they're moved and stirred because this stinks. Like it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in the continuum of faith even. When you hear this story, you're like, dude, you just do not treat your dad that way. That is just uncool. 
That is not okay. You could, you could see them starting to wrinkle their faces like, God, who would do that? That's not okay. Everybody's frustrated because the Pharisees had sons. The tax gatherers had sons. The teachers of the law, they had sons. The notorious sinners, they had children. And they also were children. They have a father. And so Jesus gets stirring the emotion of everybody that was listening that day. And everybody in Jesus' audience is ticked because nobody would have the nerve to do this. This is offensive in any culture. But in a first century Jewish culture, it's over the top. So this kid, he takes his money. And everybody's wondering where Jesus is going with this story. And everybody's feeling horrible for the way the son has treated his dad. I imagine you could have heard a pin drop that day. And Jesus continues. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Can you imagine how the crowd would be responding? Like, dude, of course. This is never going to work out to mistreat your dad that way. Plus, you have no clue how to manage your money, you punk. Right? So here it comes. There's a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he... He's blown it all. It's all gone. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that far place away, that country, who sent him to his his fields to feed Pigs, be reminded of what we're talking about here. Jewish tradition will tell you that pigs are unclean animals. They're not allowed to eat, you know, pork sandwiches, which is horrible. They're great. So he sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he longed, look at this, look at the depravity, he's rock bottom. He's caring for unclean animals, look what he's wishing he could eat. He said, I longed to fill my stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's blown it all on this lavish life. He's spent it all. It was just bigger than he could afford. And now he's hit rock bottom. It didn't take very long. The kid used it all up. The anger, the sense of offense in Jesus' audience would have been unanimous. And now in this moment, when he runs out of money and he needs a job and he finds himself hanging out with a bunch of hogs, wishing that he could eat what they could eat, Jesus drove this story in this Jewish culture to the very lowest low that it possibly could be this young jewish boy doing this and wouldn't it be great if jesus stopped his story there because i know everybody in the crowd that day was like dude that is awesome i'm gonna go home and tell my kids this story tonight at dinner table right that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna be like kids gather around so i was hanging out with jesus today just so you know okay and he told this story that you really need to hear and here's how it worked this kid dissed his dad. I'm your dad. Don't diss me. Let me tell you what happens when you disrespect your father. Here's what happens. You're going to go and you're going to squander it all because you have no idea how to manage your money. And you're going to end up feeding pigs. And you know what's even worse? It's going to get so nasty and you're going to be so hungry that you're going to end up being in that place where you wish you could even eat what the pigs are eating. <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be great? All the kids would be like, dude, dad, like seriously, I never, never, never. But he's not done yet. 
He says this in verse 17. When he came to his senses, this kid that ran away, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, and here's his speech. He's, work, he's sitting there wishing he could eat what pigs eat. And he realizes, Dad's servants eat better than I am eating. They're not going away hungry, so I'm going back home. But I got to have a good speech, right? And so he starts practicing his speech, and he says this. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's got his speech all worked out. And then verse 20, it says, so he got up and he went to his father. And can you imagine again, all of these people, they're feeling the same thing. We're feeling like, oh, dude, I thought this was a good story, but man, is he going to get good now. He's going home to talk to his dad, and his dad is going to beat him. He's going to beat him down. <laughs> I can hardly wait to go home and tell my kids this story. It's getting better by the minute. Jesus has great stories, right? This is going to be good. He's going to get what he's got coming to him. Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and it was filled with could you imagine Jesus pausing there for a second? Like, and he was filled with, people are like, anger. Righteous indignation, right? Oh, it's coming and it's going to be good. When a father who sees a son who's done what this son has done, there's only one thing that he would be filled with, Jesus says. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Can you imagine everybody now? Like, what? He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Everybody that was there that day was like, what? Jesus, Jesus, nah. He's like, see, so you used to be a good storyteller, right? And so now you're just messing up. You jacked up the whole story. It's like, I knew how this was going. I knew how it was going to play out. And now you've totally messed the story up. And then all of a sudden, you can begin to see their minds are starting to churn because one of these people represents God and one of these people represents them and they've got to figure out what Jesus is talking about. And up until that point, everybody was sure what was going to happen. The father for sure was going to respond a certain way and then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, maybe the, oh my goodness, I think the father is God. And you could see the people that are notorious sinners are like, dude, like, Whoa, 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 this is a great story. And then you could see the self-righteous people going, dude, dude, I'm not, whoa, I, I think it's time to go. I think it's time to go because I know what I was muttering just a minute ago, right? And watch how this plays out. It's this balance, this management of grace and truth. And I want you to miss this very important word. Then the son said to him, here comes his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. Now, see, if we read through the story too fast, we miss that word right there. Because quick, quick what? Because that's not how we do it. If the misbehaving son comes back, we're usually like, whoa. 
Let's get them some therapy. Let's make sure this thing is legit. Let's send them off and, and get them in a halfway house. For God's sakes, don't tell his mother. She'll throw a party, right? So we have to be careful with what's happening here. This is awesome. We should give it some time. That's what everybody's thinking. Let's see where this is going. We've got to make sure that it's the real deal. Look what his father says. Quick what? Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. And those notorious sinners are like, this is so why I love this Jesus guy. Because his stories, they like touch my heart. And I don't feel like I should be deserving of love like that. But he's trying to tell me that the Heavenly Father loves like that. And man, that so moves me to want to understand it more. I've got to figure this out. I'm going to be wherever Jesus is until I get in my heart what he's talking about. And can you imagine what the other people are thinking? Like, dude, I... I don't know why I get so self-righteous. Watch how this plays out. Jesus is a great storyteller. And to those people that were notorious sinners, did he ever say the sin didn't matter? No, reality is the kid hit rock bottom. Gary said it last week, sin has a gotcha and it's going to get you. And it does. We've all experienced it. But there's something about the tension of grace and truth. Truth says sin stinks and it's going to mess up your life and it's going to hurt people. And grace says, but God still came to make a way for us to be in right relationship with him. But there were two sons, right? Jesus wasn't done with the story yet. And he says in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father, he's killed the fattened calf because he's been, he, has been, he has him back safe and sound. At this point, everybody in the audience is just riveted by what Jesus is saying. Because if, if your younger brother messes over your dad like this kid did, you know how you'd feel. Angry that someone had mistreated your dad that way. And so Jesus says, he says, let me just go ahead and let me just go ahead and finish this. He says in verse 28, the older brother, he became angry and refused to go in. So his father, he goes out to him and he pleaded with him. But the older son, he answers his father. He said, look, all these years. Now, this is the self-righteous ones. Look, all these years I have been I have been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Now watch this. But when this son of yours, not his brother, right? When this son of yours, who has squandered your property, and I don't know if you know this dad or not, but it was on prostitutes. That's pretty powerful. Dad, I don't know if you know what he did with all that money, but like seriously, he was like buying hookers. That's what he was doing. Like, so now you want to celebrate that, don't you? It's the self-righteous heart. So when he's squandered your property with prostitutes and he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? 
Now look what the dad says. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, the father doesn't argue with the older son. He doesn't say, yeah, well, he says, listen, I get it. There's a kid that misbehaved and there's a kid that behaved. I understand that. I'm not going to argue with you. I have a good son and I have a son that behaved badly. I totally agree. So now you have one son here that doesn't want to go to a party because he doesn't think he deserves it. And you have another son who doesn't want to have a party because he agrees with his brother. He doesn't deserve it. And the problem is Jesus is communicating that our Heavenly Father wants to throw a party when lost people get found. And so he's saying we have to manage this grace and this truth well. And if you go one way or the other, you're going to miss it all. And you're going to miss out on things that matter. And don't get so self-righteous that we can't throw a party when lost people are found. The Father has a different perspective. You see, the issue is proximity, not performance. Please remember that. God says it's not about performance, it's about proximity. So don't let your performance prohibit you from being close to me. It's a with issue, not a do issue. Jesus doesn't apply this story. It's like he just says, the end. Drops the mic, walks out, and leaves the rest of them to figure out what he was talking about. Sin should break us. Repentance should stir us. You see, God can't love you more. I don't care who you are and what you've done. You need to hear that. God can't love you more. Your performance isn't going to change the way God feels about you. He loves you. The lost of the lost, he loves you. The found of the found, he loves you. It's not about your performance. He loves you. So what do we take away from this powerful teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 15? If we're trying to understand what it really means to be Christ followers, how do we wrap our minds around this? If you're far from Jesus, please listen to me today. Your lostness matters to God because he loves you. It's not about what you've done. It's about this relationship that he so desperately wants to have with you because sin has a gotcha and it's going to get you and he wants to protect you from that like any heavenly father would you haven't gone too far you haven't done too much to run past the father's watchful eye that continues to watch for you to come back to him there's nothing you can do to make him love you more and if you get caught easily into this a self-righteous kind of condemning kind of uh a a critical spirit of heart, please understand the heart of our God who says, don't you dare make it hard for those that are lost to come home. And so often the brand of Christian has become so misunderstood because of that right there. Grace and truth. Grace and truth will never be able to move from that place of holy tension there that says, yes, sin matters, but our God is full of grace. Sin should break our hearts. Repentance should stir our hearts. Can I tell you, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited that we'll have a place to do baptisms in our service. Because we need to party when lost gets found. 
We need to view people who are in rebellion against God as lost and separated and of great value. We need to position ourselves in places and relationships with people and don't ever come up with a condemning spirit there. We value lostness because lostness has value because people matter to God. So we do church in a way that that you would feel comfortable inviting people that are still struggling through the challenges of life to come and, and feel like this is a place where they can learn and grow where they can understand the, the grace message and the truth message and be embraced by people that understand that people matter. And if you're a prodigal that's run hard and maybe you've even worked on your speech a bit, listen to me, stop. Stop running. Quit the speech preparation. Daddy's waiting for you to come home. And he's not going to stand there condemning you. He will embrace you. And he will bring you into his family the way our Heavenly Father does because that's what Jesus told us he does. So in spite of how you've been hurt and maybe mistreated by people with the label of Christian, don't let that prevent you from experiencing the embrace of our Heavenly Father because it's real. You can do nothing to make him love you more. He's already paid the price so that you and I can be in relationship with Him and experience this grace-filled relationship that He's called us to have. So we live grateful for being found and we passionately go after those that are lost. Sin should break us. Repentance should stir us. Will you bow your heads for just a minute? Father, we pause today to thank you for this passage of Scripture in Luke. Lord, you make it so clear. You help us understand your heart as it relates to things that are lost and things that are found. Lord, will you help us to have your heart? Will you help us to be a church that has your heart? Lord, I know today there are some people in this room that they would get it. They understand. They understand that they're separated from you and that their lives, Lord, they maybe even they've hit rock bottom today and they don't know how they got here. Lord, will you help us to stop writing speeches, but just come to you. And Father, for those that are here today, I pray that you will confirm your passionate love for them and the value that they have to you. If that's you today, will you just... Will you just communicate to the Lord? Maybe you've never heard this kind of message before. Stop trying to perform. Say yes to him. Of course, sin has a gotcha and it gets you. You know it. Just come before him and in your own words, say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've ran from you and I'm done running. Please forgive me. Bring me into your family. Help me to understand what it means to call you my Lord and my Savior. Lord, for the rest of us, will you help us to do this well? In our hearts to be challenged when we get a critical spirit about the way other people behave. Lord, that we would pursue lost people because lost people matter to you and they have great value. Help us to be that church, Lord, that is intentional about praying for and loving on those that are far from Jesus. It's in your name we pray.